As we finished, uh, we ended this, the last sit. I don't know exactly how it came to, to, to be, but um, what appeared uh, in my mind was the, the, the ethical nature of, um, of the practices that we do, of the work that we do here, the implication um, maybe in terms of our relationships or our own well-being uh, uh, in the moment, but also uh, in the future. And uh, anyway, it just jumped at me at the end of the sit, and I thought, oh, when we come back, maybe I could say a few words on this. Um, and it might be because of the morning chant. Um, you know, that's a chant that we're, it would be really good to chant it all together, but because I'm so not organized, it's really beyond me to think about this before. You know, usually I'm like there the first morning, oh, could do a little chant, you know. So unfortunately, that's the kind of teacher you're stuck with <laughs> otherwise you know everybody would have a printed version and we chant it over the week, we'll all learn it it would be so good but that's another reality um, but still this, uh, this uh, chant um, there's a, in a way four parts to it that maybe you recognize but it's the four qualities of the heart that I was talking about yesterday the first two stanzas, paragraphs, or uh, our expression of loving kindness. Um, may I abide in well-being, uh, in freedom from anxiety, hostility, affliction, ill will. Uh, may everyone abide. So that's a, an expression of uh, kindness, of benevolence. Then there's an expression of compassion. Um, May all beings be released from all suffering. And then there's an expression of uh, rejoicing, joy, mudita in Pali, uh, where it says, May uh, they not be parted from the good fortune they have attained. And then it gets kind of heavy. <laughs> it's uh, known to be the equanimity part, uh, what brings uh, can in time maybe... Uh, with deep consideration bring uh, balance to the mind and I don't know if you remember some of these phrases or if I can myself as they are kind of ingrained in the <laughs> melody but it says something like uh, may they not be parted from the good fortune they have attained when they act upon intentions all beings are the owners of their action and inherit its results their f uh, future is born, their future of beings, that's us. Our future is born from such action, companion to such action. Uh, companion to such action. Be they skillful or unskillful of these acts, we will be the heirs. It will be our heritage. That's what we will be born from. And uh, so that's it means we're responsible for what we're em emitting, how we're responding to what's happening, what we're emitting outward, 
in terms of speech and actions, movements of body, but also what we're emitting inward, uh, thoughts and emotions that we're emitting have an impact on our immediate well-being, the well-being of our relationships, would you agree? What we're putting out there, you know, the words or the tone or the lack of the words, the absence of them when they should be there, you know, or could be there. And so, uh, being here for a week, uh, taking great, great care of what is being produced, in the heart, mind, uh, the attitudes or intentions that arise, the thoughts, which direction am I taking this amazing capacity to, you know, reflect or attend? Or this, this kind of system is incredible in what it can do. It can free itself. It can also create a lot of tangles in one's own mind and uh, in one's uh, relationship. Relationship with people close, relationship with people we don't even know, who might exist only later. We are in relationship uh, with those who will be in the way that we act, uh, consume, whatever we do. We're it has an impact, it has reverberation. Also, um, in terms of our future, because what we are doing uh, in any moment, as I was saying earlier, is a kind of a training. It's a little scary to think of it this way, no? But it might bring a sense of uh, urgency, a sense of response. I have to really take care. I have to be really attentive. Ah. You know what I'm uh, what I'm playing with here uh, in my own heart and mind. So I hope it doesn't sound too moralistic, but and it is the teachings of the Buddha that uh, what we are um, emitting, if we can say it like this, is is of importance. And this is exactly why there is this attention. That why is mindfulness so trendy? <laughs> well, I don't know why it's trendy, but I know why it's important. <laughs> and it's been trend, trendy for some for a while, as you do, two thousand six hundred five six hundred years. But why there's such an importance put on it as a quality of mind? It because that as we're discovering here, maybe through the teaching, but certainly through the exploration, the, 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 yeah, the experience, the phenomenological uh, approach that we're taking by feeling, feeling into. We're, I think, discovering, I am, for sure, that mindfulness reveals the state of this being, you know, how things are met, you know, Otherwise, they can be met compulsively, habitually, uh, in all kinds of ways that I might not be aware of, except maybe, maybe in the best case scenario. When I go to bed, you know, I'm in bed, I'm like, oh, why did I say that? You know, conscious, 
conscious retroactive mindfulness. <laughs> oh, 12 hours later. Oh, I thought I was generous by giving this person feedback. But actually, it might not. <laughs> that would require a lot of honesty and investigation already. You know, could easily not even notice this. You know. <laughs> you know. Uh, Oh, I thought I was generous by fixing this person. <laughs> I was. No, that's right, I was. <laughs> and so by paying really close attention, you know, to the body, to me, I think I've said this at the very beginning, talking about the breath. The breath to me is such a revealer of what's going on. Or the body, if I put a little attention on the body, I'll notice... Uh, at some point for sure I'll notice the mind state the, the, the state of this being because of the quality maybe of the breath itself or the quality of the body you know the contraction or not or because I won't be able to be with it with the breath you know it indicates something if I'm unable to stay with the breath it indicates at some point it will indicate something to me like wow can't even be here, you know. So it might indicate that I'm caught in something, you know, a little, you know, preoccupied, under occupation. So the way we take care of this moment is an investment in the way we'll take care of later moments. Here on this, in these uh, training grounds, it's supportive conditions, uh, I think, to explore this, to stabilize, to invite and nurture some of these qualities that will be really, really helpful for us. And again, what I find remarkable about this practice for me is the fact that it's uh, what I would call vipassana. It's the fact that it's felt. It's not information. I should be kinder. It's what is kindness and what is its absence in a felt way. So I have very strong uh, references in the body uh, of both. It's important. So if you happen to experience uh, uh, the opposite of what you would like to experience, be there. Really important to be there. I remember, maybe for a couple of years in my practice, I would be there, and when there would be some disturbing mind state, you know, I remember thinking, don't go away too fast. Stay around. I want to get to know you consciously. You know, I want to get to know how this behaves, you know, because usually I, I'm not that aware, you know. I just act on it or I'm led by it. But now I want to be awake here. Oh, shame. Okay. Do your thing. Do you think I'm going to actually be here this time to learn how you behave, how what you do, how you influence perceptions, or where you're felt? Or 
and to have a vipassana, intuitive, penetrative, embodied, uh, deep knowledge of this uh, mind state and this, this deep understanding that recognizes, oh no, cannot feed this, cannot let this run the show. You know, it's a mistaken view. I'm putting words to it, but it's felt. This is, this is what I uh, appreciate so much about it. It just flashed to mind, that's how mind works, but, and thoughts, but I remember on the retreat with some, uh, somebody who had sat the retreat, a good friend was uh, telling me after the retreat how um, their pattern was f- to look for validation outside. And it kept coming back, look, look for vali- validation in the teacher, in the other yo- uh, yogis or retreatants, kind of look for validation. And with the eyes down and the silence, you know, the, the validation was not really there, you know, happening. And uh, this person said, it was a difficult retreat for me, Pascal. It was a difficult, and it was a little longer than this one, I'll just say this. <laughs> Which could be something between, what, eight days to three months, is a, <laughs> another length of a retreat. And this person was saying, Pascal, it was a difficult retreat for me because the lack of validation was so... and there was so much kind of grief and feeling lost, lost, lost. Like looking, looking for... And, uh, and one day, I sat in the hall, desperate, because I was not kind of seen or validated. It was not maybe even clear to this person exactly what was going on at that time. But this person described, and at some point, I was sitting there, desperate, and suddenly there came kindness. And Pascal, I cannot describe this to you. I had never had access to this. It was just some kind of love, in a way very, very simple. And this person said, I'm so happy I sat this retreat, and no one will ever be able to take this away from me. This person had a reference of the end of search for validation. And you could think, like, oh my God, look, it took three weeks or four weeks or, or whatever. It's co- it seems costly to be miserable for three weeks or four weeks. But to this person, I bet, they didn't say it like this, but I've seen this enough times, uh, witnessed this in others and in myself, that I would bet this person would say, that was not costly at all. That was definitely worth it. While I'm in it, it might have seemed costly, you know. But once I get the golden nugget, this was an easy ride, you know, to get that kind of reference inside, that kind of, uh, you know, 
definitely worth it. And I've seen this in myself many times, like, wow, I've been working on this for 10 years and I just got a hint. I would do it all over again. Because the clarity or the, the opening that happens, definitely worth it. And so we come here for these things to be, uh, for the tendencies of the mind that are detrimental to us and our relationships. We come here for them to be revealed. So we might think that things are going wrong, it's not working out. Actually, it might be working really well, because things are being revealed. <laughs> no? The self-deprecation, or the judgments, or the this. And one way I think about it is, so how does it work, this practice? Well, there's a lot of soaking in it. Okay, marinate in it, Pascal. For a few hours more, you know, in your arrogance, opinion, whatever else it could be. For me, I don't mind. I go from one to the other. Self, self, uh, self-hatred, self-aggrandizement. In 20 minutes, I can visit both easily. <laughs> and to actually experience it, experience it, experience again and again the, the ouch of it but with consciousness. So at some point the mind shies away from And there's a famous Zen teacher who would, uh, was living in Connecticut, I think, uh, or uh, on the east coast of the, the U.S., and was really known for uh, a pity teaching. And one, amongst other, was uh, people would describe for them how they you know, what they were experiencing, some kind of suffering, or some kind of, like, not making headway uh, with the practice in some way. And he was known to, apparently, to, uh, to, uh, to say as a response, more suffering needed. You have to stay with this a little bit more, you know. And it's interesting to think how um, letting go happens. Letting go of a habit, attitude. How does letting go happen? In this practice, what I've noticed is that letting go, I should let go of this, I should let go of get, Let go of that, you know, you're, you're good friends, you know. Let, let it go, let it go, you know. Letting go is not a result, is not caused by will. I will let it go. Let me let it go now. Okay, it's time to let go now. (laughs) It doesn't work exactly like this. How letting go happens, from my understanding of practice, is through understanding. When I really understand deeply that this is not beneficial, in a deeply means vipassana to me, experientially, maybe a few times. This, when there's a kind of deeper intelligence that recognizes, no, this actually is not possible. Like, it's not, not just like, oh, I, can't, I shouldn't talk to myself like this. This is a little too superficial. There has to be the kind of encounter with a stable mind 
you know, that suddenly recognizes, oh, this is not intelligence. I really thought this was the higher intelligence. Do you see what I mean? Saying, you're not going to succeed. You know? Somehow I believed this was the higher intelligence. Or in the arrogance, it really knew I was above everybody else. <laughs> you know, I won't say it, but the higher intelligence knows I'm better than they are. <laughs> but I'll play humble. <laughs> but I know. <laughs> and at some point, when something wisdom sees, oh no. That's how letting go happens. Suddenly there's a, oh, cannot afford this anymore. Okay. And what brings that discernment factor in? Mindfulness is the doorway. A mind that experiences uh, deeply the impact of uh, the way we hold things. So, in terms of the, you know, not um, not personal, one of the three P's, P's of uh, Ruth uh, King, uh, not personal. This is actually one way we could understand um, maybe uh, our speech, our actions, our thoughts. That it's not so much I who act. Check it out. Let's play with this a little bit. It's not so much I who acts, or I who speak, or I who think, but maybe some mind state does. Sometimes generosity speaks, acts, or think. Sometimes goodwill does. Sometimes... uh, what is the opposite of goodwill in, in English? Ill will? In French, mauvaise foi. It's like when the mind is looking for trouble. You know? Yeah. Do, you, do you have this in English? <laughs> when instead of like being of good faith, you know, like trying to understand the situation, when the mind's like, let me not understand this situation. <laughs> no, I don't get what you're saying. No, it doesn't work. No, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Does that happen in the, in the English mind? <laughs> and so this will make us speak. Agreed will. And so mindfulness is this device that makes it known who's running the show right now. Who's running the show right now? What is talking? Is it... You know, yeah, greed, hatred, delusion, wanting to, aversion, or is it 
care or patience or honesty or so that's I think that's partly the way I hold I understand things and mindfulness is just there to reveal to reveal what is leading here the thinking pattern obsession agitation compulsion not good friends if you're going to reflect on something okay i'm going to reflect on something with worry agitation and fear and wanting to control <laughs> sometimes uh, Rachel Lewis who's a, another Canadian teacher sometimes she really makes me laugh because she she'll be guiding the beginning of a meditation and she'll say you know things that we say you know like feel the body feel the breath something like this you should go on for a couple of seconds and then she'll say Now it would be a good time to start worrying. <laughs> Now it would be a good time to start resenting someone about something, you know? And there's always this reaction where people start laughing a little like, there's a recognition that would not be the best <laughs> use of my time here. Although I might do it a lot of hours during the day, but consciously, maybe it's not the best thing to, to do. So it says that uh, this discernment at the level of mind states is uh, having a lot of repercussion impacts in our relationships, uh, in the world, society, uh, in our own mind at the time, you know, whatever the mind state is, effect, affects the mind immediately, doesn't it? You know, gratitude or greed, very different immediate experience. And it affects the future experience. So this is mainly the point I wanted to, to make on this uh, first topic here, which is the first kind of wisdom that I talked about when I talked about two kinds of wisdom. There's one kind of wisdom that is about how I'm relating to things. And there's the other kind of wisdom uh, that is related to how I'm perceiving stuff, the three Ps, you know, nothing being personal, nothing being perfect, or nothing being um, permanent. first kind of wisdom in a way is could be related to a, a sense of, uh, of self huh? with how I'm relating to things how I'm relating to things and the second one is actually questioning the sense of self so 
It's interesting, no? That there's different ways to relate to things. Um, and to me, that's a question I have. I'm curious about this. I don't know if it holds... You know, if, it, if I'm going to keep thinking like this, but uh, sometimes I'm thinking that's the demarcation between uh, psychology and spirituality. Where in psychology, I would want a self, a good relationship with self, a self that uh, you know that I love and that is uh, functional, and uh, yeah, so that's how I understand this. You know, that I want to. Uh, heal the self in some ways. And then I come to a retreat, to a Buddhist retreat. And then we say, well, that's really good. That's a really good way to work with stuff. It's, it's incredibly precious. And let's see if we can play it in an, about with it another way. Or some would say, go further. So it would go from well-being to liberation. How dare you present things like this? (laughs) I don't know, it's just a hypothesis. That's what I seem to understand of the practice. So when we're born, there's no self. It's just like the whole world. And slowly we learn. Your nose, Mama's nose... Your toy, uh, you know, Nicola's toy, you know, and we start to delineate what is self, your body, like this, and we hopefully we we get some kind of sense of self that can be hopefully healthy, or we can heal it. And then at the meditation retreat, we're saying, "Wow, really good." Really good. Let's take this a little further and now question, is that really mine or I? That's interesting to me. It's not just interesting. For the Buddha, it's really related to freedom and entanglement, peace and fear. And so we sit here and we maybe change view a little bit, play with the view. What if it was not that personal? What if we didn't take it so personal and we thought that we're exploring human nature? So we're getting a little bit out of the self-view, right? A little out. And as we experience the body, one way to talk about the body I haven't here on this retreat is to talk about the body in terms of the four elements. It's kind of archaic, very efficient, very... uh, can be a very powerful way to consider the body. What is it, the body? Fire, earth, water, air. You know, it's a play of this. And the Buddha would say things like, um, you know, the water element inside, the water element outside, same. Or maybe it's a... Bhikkhu uh, Nalayu says that like this. The earth element inside, the earth element outside, the same. Do you see how it breaks the idea of I, mine? It's just like, oh, this is... Or any Nugent on retreats, 
you know, there would be silence, like imagine here in the middle of the day when it's been silent for most of the day in the afternoon. Then you would hear in the microphone, lump of earth. <laughs> that puts things in perspective. No? Lump of earth. This is what's going on. Oh, I'm getting all worked up about what, where a lump of earth is going. You know? And you're just like putting things in perspective. It's just a lump of earth. Sometimes she would go really far. Something like, lump of meat. <laughs> of flesh. And so the Buddha created a bunch of devices or approaches to question the I, my, me, in me kind of view, way of conceiving. And he would say that. I am... I am. That is a conceived idea. I don't know if you have that tone. But I was. I was. Whoa. This is a conceived idea. I will be. I will be. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is a conceived idea. Conceived ideas are a dart, a boil, something else I can't remember. Like, be careful with conceived ideas. You might get entangled in them. You know, believing in what you conceive, concept, create. And so we come to retreat to question a little bit this because it comes with clinging, attachment, fear. And so we want to start to release it, maybe by considering things. Maybe could we consider things as more like human, our humanity, human nature? These are ways that I went about it. And one of the great doorways towards questioning, is it me or mine or in me? Or really, really, absolutely, is that the only way to view what's happening? Uh, the Buddha uses uh, the teachings on impermanence or the experience of it. And there's one way I think that he does it. You can imagine one day in the forest and we're all together with him, you know. And he says something like uh, sensations. Sensations. Sensations, are they permanent or impermanent sensations? And we respond, you know, impermanent. It's like, oh, okay. What is impermanent? Uh, is that stable or unstable? Well, unstable. Okay. Sensations. And what is impermanent and unstable, is that, can that be satisfying? Well, no. Okay. Just saying, just asking. And what is uh, unstable, impermanent, unsatisfying? 
Can it be really mine or I? Well, no. Okay. Sensations, can they really be ours? And then he goes on, you know. Oh, ideas, ideas. Ideas, are they permanent or impermanent? It's really powerful in this way of repeating the pattern. Something can sink in. Are, are ideas permanent or impermanent? And the people who were there seem to have replied, you know, impermanent, sir. What is impermanent? Is that stable or unstable? Well, unstable. Oh. What is unstable? Is that reliable or unreliable? Well, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> unreliable. Okay. And what is unreliable, unstable, impermanent? Is that really ours? No. Okay. So our thoughts, ideas, really ours because they're being unstable or impermanent or unreliable. No. And then he goes on like this with every aspect of our human experience. You know. Is this yours or not? Moments of consciousness. Let go. Let's take it far. Let's go in the deep part of the pool. <laughs> moments of consciousness. Moments of... Uh, you know, awareness of uh, eating uh, melon. You know, moments of uh, consciousness of being in one's bedroom. Moments of consciousness of uh, walking. Are these moments of consciousness, are these moments permanent or impermanent? Well, impermanent, okay. And then, is what is impermanent? Is that stable? Is that reliable? Can that be yours? A moment of consciousness? Can it be yours? No. Yet, I keep identifying with the knower, the, the observer, the... What are the words? Yeah. The witness. You know. He takes it really far. Like even what not it's one thing to say that all experiences are impermanent, you know. But at the very core I'm there experiencing it and I'm not going anywhere. You know? Is that true? Is that true? Let's go and check it out. You know? And the way he teaches, he says least one of the ways that he teaches, he says, the six kinds of consciousness. But I seem to be compact and integrated in one, you know. Well, the six kinds of consciousness. There's consciousness of uh, sounds, or hearing consciousness, seeing consciousness, touch consciousness, mind consciousness, the six senses. And they are impermanent, they appear and disappear. Like now, let's hear the fan. 
consciousness of Fan just appeared. Now, do not think of the Fan. <laughs> it's going to be harder. <laughs> and so he's putting that way, inviting us to practice, maybe in this way, to divide consciousness in pieces, moments, just to help us unhook from that strong adherence to I, I am, I was, I will be. suggest and check it out is that true for you that's really interesting for me he suggests that this um, this um, identification with I is actually not something solid it's just different moments of clinging you know like uh, for example the ego you know when we say my ego the ego my ego I always thought it was some kind of um, kind of solid, permanent creature of the swamps, kind of, <laughs> you know? The, e- the ego comes out, you know? Just when I don't want to, the ego comes out. It's do- it does its thing, like... And I'm going to have to, you know, heal this ego? It's unhealable. <laughs> you know, what am I going to do with this ego thing? <laughs> anyway, and I like how in the... Buddhist psychology, there's no such thing as an ego, I think. There's just moments of clinging. Moments of, uh, I either cling to a sensation, my foot, I just hurt my foot. It's very uh, momentary. And then, you know, I'll see something, I want it, I want this, you know. Suddenly, the I will be, will hang on to something. And then I'll let this go, the cookie gone. And then it'll be, I want to be back home. It's me back, you know, it's an idea that, I, that will be clung to. And it keeps going like this, a little bit like a monkey, you know, that grabs the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Never noticing that it let, just let go of the last thing, you know, but just, that's me now, that's me now, you know. Uh, and the Buddha says it happens only in four ways. Either I think, check this out, and we can check it out in experience. I either think that something is me, 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 or mine, or I'm in it, or it's in me. Only four possibilities. Let's take body. Is it yours, it's mine, or is it you, or are you in it? From moment to moment, maybe it changes. Do you recognize something? How would you describe this? It, no, it's my body. Okay, so the way it's conceived, the way experiences of, experience of body is conceived, is it's mine. For somebody else, it might be, no, I'm in it. I'm really in it, Pascal. <laughs> it's true. 
Do you see something of that nature happening to you? The body, is it yours? Or you're in it? Or it's you? Maybe you'll say, the three. <laughs> the thoughts. Are they you? Or in you? Ah, oh, no, 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 these are in me. I'm the body, but the thoughts are in me. Ah, it's interesting to see how I construct the world. It's a construction. It's a mental construction. It's a way to hold, conceive of reality. Emotions. Are they in you? Are they you? Or are you in it? Or pain? Or any aspect of experience we're going to conceive it in one of these four ways if there is identification. And this is the dance that we're dancing. My husband. Oh, no, no, I'm not my husband, but he's mine. <laughs> Or... I'm in it or it's in me. The emotions are in me or I'm inside the body. And we could go a whole life never questioning this and just assuming that it's the case. You know, and here we sit and we notice the coming and going of sensations, of emotions, of ideas. And the knowing of it, the knowing of it. Interesting path, no? It's really, really, to me it's interesting, but beyond this, uh, I can, the value of uh, freeing oneself from the entrapment that comes with fear of death, to put it very simply. If I'm in it, what are they going to do with me when the body dies? You know? So these were just a few more words on these kinds of wisdom that we are developing. Let's sit for a moment.
May we be ex- able to experience a, maybe a fluid sense of self instead of a rigid sense of self. May we be able to conceive of things in the way of self and also in a different way to find maybe more ease in our lives, reduce stress, or even experience liberation. What is that? Thank you again for your consideration. Now let's go grab our plates, (laughs) to which we'll be identified for a few minutes until we hook on something else. Let me go on my walk. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.